right, welcome back to another episode of That's My Dad. We've got Chris May here in the studio with us. Welcome, Chris. Good to have you. Wow, it's great to be here, Scott. Thanks for inviting me. So, uh, Chris, what's your what's your claim to fame? Is it your three kids? <laughs> Actually, I would say yes, yeah, my three kids. Let's yeah. start there. Yeah, three kids, three grandkids, awesome wife. Um, and, and I think, too, I was so excited about coming and sharing just because of of you've heard the commercial before this is worth this this is worth this but this is priceless yeah. and kids and grandkids are priceless in my life so uh, i was excited to share that let's get started just tell me about your kids well i've got three uh first one is nathan he's the oldest uh he's uh, around th- late 30s right now he probably wouldn't want me to tell how old he is but late 30s jordan's a couple years behind him he's my second then uh, Karina is our youngest, and she was actually adopted uh, mm-hmm. about 16 years ago. And so yeah. adopted her from Ukraine. Beautiful young lady. Yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome kids. I mean, uh, you know, we, you think in life the things you want to accomplish, but uh, I think the most valuable things is you can look at your wife and your kids and see what really is worth something. Yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. Tell us about Mercy's Hope. I want to hear about that. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I, I would love to go into the long version, but uh, it was back in 2004, and I actually can remember praying, just asking God. Uh, I, I knew there was more, and uh, I, I felt like at that point in my life, I was receiving and hearing some things from him, but I remember praying this prayer, and we all know, I've heard before, be careful what you pray for, but mm-hmm. this was something that changed my life dramatically. And I prayed for God's father heart. I said, please give me your father heart. Well, then, of course, it was uh, a good bit of time later, I was invited to Ukraine uh, by a very good friend that has since passed away, and he served on a ministry board from England, and they served orphan kids in Ukraine. So, lo and behold, a miracle, I ended up receiving a, a, a revised passport, an updated passport, and the uh, visa. And within just a couple of weeks, ended up in Ukraine. And the first couple of days, I was like, God, yeah, I, I know you wanted me here, but it just seems like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just I haven't seen it yet. And uh, so I was there taking pictures for this ministry. The third day there, we went to an orphanage. And this orphanage was oh, about two hours from where we were staying at the time. And I was with a group of other people that were actually on this ministry board from England. So I thought, okay, cool, we're going to go see an orphanage. And, and at that time, we were fairly involved with, uh, with Big Oak Ranch. We, had, mm-hmm. uh, we were house, what we call resource parents. Mm-hmm. And so we had several kids that came and lived with us for weekends and so forth. So we, I thought I knew orphan kids, you know, I, cause I'd been around them, uh, and, and thought I, you know, had a good handle on what that was and what that meant until this trip in Ukraine. And I uh, went to this orphanage. They showed us around the building, which I didn't want to see the building. I want to see kids. Mm-hmm. And so finally they took us in this room and the music began to play. And all these kids came in just dressed in, in, in this attire, uh, like, I guess, traditional folk Ukrainian mm-hmm. uh, dress up. And so they started dancing to this music. And as I watched that, I began just to become emotional. And this one little girl, i never forget, she was probably about 10, kept looking at me and looking away, almost in shame. But look at me, smile, and look away. And it's like... And, and, it, and it rocked me. And 
what happened after that was just a, 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 an experience and an encounter with God that I'll never forget. In fact, when I even think about it, I get emotional because it was out like from inside out. I, I heard this voice say, pray Jeremiah 29, 11 over those kids. So I begin to pray. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for harm, for a hope and a future. And as I prayed, I began to weep. And I saw that girl again, and some other kids started getting my attention. And these people that were with me thought I was crazy. What's going on? You know, you got mm. sick or something. And I, just, I really began to weep. And at that time, I felt it was just like God took me and plugged me into 220. And I started mm. shaking. I started shaking and crying. I, could, I mean, it just was like, I mean, I just, I couldn't. I couldn't control myself. And now Stephen taking pictures during this time finally kind of got myself together and they were ending their deal, their program. And all the kids, this one particular girl just, just rocked me. And, and it was like she was seeing right into my spirit, you know, my soul. And they all left the room and I thought, Oh my goodness, I'm never going to see them again, you know? And, um, and, and right, right when all this was happening, I knew what it was. It was like God was saying, take these kids to be yours. And I said, and I'm calling you to be a father. And I remember saying to God, I said, well, I'm already a dad. And he said, no, you didn't hear me. I'm calling you to be a father. Mm. And, and after that, I just, uh, I lost it again. And then finally got myself together. And I thought, okay, the kids are gone. The people started talking. We were kind of walking around. And all of a sudden, two boys came back in the room. And I wanted to talk to them. Of course, I couldn't because they're, they only speak Russian, Ukrainian. Uh, and then all of a sudden, all the kids started coming back in the room. And um, I was like, oh, my goodness, maybe I'm going to meet this little girl. And so then the kids saw my camera, and they wanted to get a picture with me. So I sat in a chair and gave the camera to, to somebody, uh, one of the folks that was with me. And just as I sat down... <laughs> You know who came over and sat in my lap? The little girl. The girl. And I could, at that point, I started losing it again, but I knew I had to keep it together for the picture. So, you know, they took the picture, and I got a picture with her, and it turned out there's um, her two brothers. I didn't know she had brothers. And then that was it. After that, I was like, oh, my goodness, where do I sign? I want to take them home. You know, <laughs> I had no idea about the adoption process. None. <laughs> it was clueless. And so to make a long story short, went home. I said, Karen, we've got to adopt. And she oh. said, say what? <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, I don't know what you ate over there. <laughs> we got to get you better. And so after that, it was a, a series of events that happened. Um, but eventually, we started the adoption process. We went back to Ukraine almost nine months uh, later after we started the, the adoption process and through another series of events ended up going to probably the most remote part of Ukraine, which was still had some communist stronghold mm -hmm. and, uh, met Karina and, uh, and ended up adopting her. So what happened was we were getting ready to bring her home after the court case. And, and we were there a lot longer in Ukraine than we felt like we were, were going to be, um, in fact, almost three months. And so we had adopted her. That we had to leave her for 30 days. Ukraine law says you have to leave and, and gives chance for whoever, family members or whatever, to petition uh, 
for her not to be adopted. So we uh, left her for 30 days, came back. We were getting ready to come home. And uh, I told the government officials when we were there, said, um, someday we'll bring her back. And at that time, they said, uh, no, we'll never see her again. You, you, you know, we know that you'll take her and she's probably not going to be in a good place. And they thought that we were going to do all kinds of stuff to her. And it was just awful. We, we brought her home. Two year later, I actually went back to see the children and uh, in the orphanage. There were about 80 kids in that orphanage. When we left originally, they were calling us mom and dad and they were crying. The, the, the orphanage officials didn't know to keep us from the kids. Typically, when you go to, to adopt, mm. All you can meet with is your child you're potentially mm-hmm. going to adopt. And that's pretty common in most countries. Mm-hmm. They didn't know that. So we would, when we would visit with Karina, we visited with almost 80 other children. Oh. So by the time we left, they were calling us mom and dad, and they were crying. And they were like, well, you know, of course, they are speaking Russian. We couldn't tell. But through the interpreter, we found out they were just, when are you coming back? Don't leave me, you know. And and why is Karina so lucky, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, um, just really emotional so we took Karina home I came back a year later um, and the orphanage was very reluctant to let me in because government uh, law states you cannot go into an orphanage unless you have official permission which we'd already adopted Karina so we really didn't have permission Mm -hmm. a year after that (laughs) brought Karina back and I can remember sitting in the offices of those government officials and they actually were so moved to see her, they began to cry. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, what is going on? And, uh, and we, said, we said, well, here's Karina. And, and, and I told you that God would make a difference in her life. And you can see. Um, and they said uh, through their tears and just, just um, being so emotional, here these this really very staunch Russian people were emotional and which is very very mm-hmm. unusual and they said at that time they said um, you said you'd bring her back and we didn't believe you but now we want to tell you that just because of your faithfulness of bringing her back we not only will open up the orphanage to you anytime you want to come you can bring anybody you want with you and tell them about your god mm. and that's how mercy's hope started and oh. so we would come year after year bringing teams and going into the orphanage. And within about 10 years, Scott, that orphanage had to close because there were no more kids. They were oh. all adopted and, and given that's to incredible. Christian families. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. I mean, absolutely. Let me, let me go back. and um, There's something that brought Chris May to the point that <laughs> – He's a compassionate guy. And by the way, you're on staff at the Church of the Highlands in, yes, in Gaston. Right. You, and, right. you and Karen helped kind of bring that congregation here, I yeah, guess. Is well, the way God to say used, it. yeah, some of our relationship. And yeah. and we've been here now six years, I think, six, going on seven. But yeah. I want to go back way back. I okay. Go back way back and ask you about your dad, <laughs> yeah, your family. Yeah. Tell me about that. My dad um, was a um, uh, really an incredible man. He was a, uh, he, he was, he was a college professor, a school teacher, college professor, uh, was actually from Canada. And his parents, my grandparents, were pastors in the Salvation Army. And, um, and so his, his background was very much that. He was a consummate musician. 
very, very, I mean, just such a high level musicianhood. And, and so he brought all of us kids or four of us up that way. And, uh, so I started very early on in, in the music industry or in the music area and, and being, being wrapped and, and letting that be a pretty involved in my life obviously as a kid you know sports were important and so forth Mm -hmm. but he always put an emphasis on that and um and growing up there were some things about my dad that uh have really stuck with me and even as I was really recalling before coming today some things that he instilled in my life were major uh and he was he was very dedicated man he um he loved us as many in that generation. They didn't necessarily verbalize it a lot, right. but, um, but he, he, he wouldn't fail to hug us. But some things that really impacted me were every Sunday after church, he wouldn't go and sleep or do his own thing. He would gather all of us kids together and go out to the local park, and we'd play for two hours or more. Hmm. And at, that started very young, but then uh, eventually more kids would come and stay at our house, and we had more and more kids, and they would come. But what would happen is they would all not want us to come to their house. They wanted to come to ours because we were playing these games, you know, yes. and hang Your out dad, You're saying he was involved in all this. Yeah, he was out there. I can remember even in high school when I thought I was a macho uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. athlete, you know, and I can remember playing – tag football and and laying him on the ground you know like yeah. oh, i gotta do this and yeah. later thinking what chris what did you just do you just <laughs> put your dad on the ground uh but but afterwards not just after but later thinking back i realized oh my goodness that was an incredible sacrifice and what he was instilling was a consistent involvement in our lives mm-hmm. and obviously there'd be other times he went to school a lot of his life so a lot of what I remember is when he would be off at university getting a higher degree, you know, and so he would be gone summers, but he still, despite that, was very intentional of spending time with us. So how many of you were there? There are four of us. Four of you. Yeah, I was the oldest of I've been, four. I've been asking a question that I'm just taking a little survey. There's not a right or wrong answer, but I'm just kind of wondering, um, how often did your family sit down for dinner together? Those were, uh, we were, we were a family that I think probably a lot of families back in the very middle class, if not less, uh, never, very seldom did we go out to eat. As a matter of fact, a, a, um, an incredible privilege was going to McDonald's and my dad was a coupon guy. So he would (laughs) pull these little coupons and give us, you know, you get a, you receive a, a a burger and then you get a free fry, you know, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So he would give those to us. It was funny, even after I was married, we'd come home and we'd go to McDonald's. He'd all give us coupons, you know. So we were, he'd still do it when we were older, but <laughs> uh, but we just did not eat out much. So we ate at home, yeah. and those uh, those times around the table were extremely valuable. As a matter of fact, I even I even did this with my kids, but. Uh, once in a while it would be family meeting night, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so we would eat dinner and then afterwards we have, he'd call it a family conference. And so, uh, we thought that was just a big word for, Oh no, what's dad going to talk about now? You know, <laughs> but well, excuse me, once in a while he would, <coughs> he would share a scripture verse or he would just talk about, <coughs> excuse me, different family issues, something going on, 
maybe uh, you know maybe something going on in the family or even something relative to what was happening in the nation at the time when I would try family conferences and mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember this me reacting this way but I know 100% I did but my boys were like oh man yeah. another family <laughs> conference you know and and so they would they would react like oh my goodness what are we doing this for you know and uh, but I remember I'm going to see this through because mm-hmm. I know it impacted me, even though I probably didn't like it. But it showed me that he cared enough to not just verbalize something, but to to allow us to be a part of of uh, communication and dialogue that you don't see in families nowadays. And right. so yeah. that's what I grew up with. Yeah, we're 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 discovering that uh, most of the people who who we interview who've whose children have gone on to really do great things they say yeah man we had we had dinner five times a week I, it's yeah. it's amazing as busy as folks are yeah that they can yeah. do that and so yeah. as a father um what what do you think it takes for you to be a, to be a great dad um number one um i realized i didn't need to be perfect i just needed to be present okay um, good. number two to be interested and involved in their life don't be separate don't be and it doesn't mean be a hovering parent but it does mean be interested you know and truly not just faking it but truly be interested in them um also also authentic in putting the interest of them in front of yourself well you can't be selfish is it that's exactly right you can't be selfish um, another one I wrote down was be intentional, not swayed by the reactions or responses. And I, the story I told you of having family conferences or I would do fun things like at New Year's, like letting everybody paint what the whole year meant to them. Or, or I would, um, uh, you know, just different things like that. And sometimes I go, oh, really, Dad? You know, that's just like, uh, you know. But I realized I've, I, I can't be swayed. Because they think it's silly, you know, because later they're going to go, oh, my goodness, you know, and and some Mm -hmm. some way that's going to impact them. And sometimes dads just have to be kind of goofy, you (laughs) know, we we just have to accept the fact that they're going to think he's weird. Right. (laughs) One day they'll understand. Absolutely. I I think that I really do. do And then another thing I think is really important before the last one uh, is speak consistently and powerfully into their future. I think many times as a dad, we miss that. And when I mean by speak into their future, the Bible says you can speak things that are not as though they are. Mm. And that's and that's something as a dad, you have authority spiritually into your children's life. And um, I think it's so important. I, I did that with my boys at night when I put them to bed. And I pray for them, but I would speak different things in their life, not really even realizing then what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then with Karina, I was very intentional of speaking into her life. Wow. I can remember before she stepped on the plane the first time coming home with us and the orphanage directors and the government officials said, she's, she's sickly. She'll never be healthy in her life. She's dumb. She'll never, <laughs> they're going to give me, she'll, she'll never amount to anything. And I can remember before stepping on that plane, I said, God, she is going to be healthy. 
and she is going to be intelligent and smart, and she's going to rise above the words that were spoken to her. And she's all of that today. Oh, my I goodness. I mean, that. Th- and let me just give you one example. She didn't have an easy time in high school, you know, it, but it was adjusting. She never knew English at 11 years old, and so she mm-hmm. had to catch up. But it, finally, she, she went to um, Southern Union for a couple of years on a dance scholarship, took four years off and worked in different, different things, returned back to Auburn, because she, uh, my background's architecture, and mm-hmm. she came to me one day and wanted to be in architecture. And I was like, oh, baby, really? That's really hard. But she really wanted to. She wanted to pursue that. And Scott, she went to Auburn. Out of the five semesters, six semesters, she was on the honor roll five times, five of those. So this little girl that the, the officials said. Yeah. Yeah. And she graduated I, I mean, I didn't even approach that myself, but it was car, uh, 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 whatever that is, uh, laudo cum laude, you know. Yeah. And, and as she walked down, as she stood up, when they acknowledged her at the graduation at Auburn, Karen and I bawled because mm, it wasn't anything about us. It was just the miracle of God in her life. So, so that's what I mean by speaking into their future. And I believe it is absolutely so important and, and vital and real. I want to give you a chance to speak to your dad, 89 years old. Okay. All right. And, uh, what, what we're going to do is have you look into this camera right here. All right. And I just want you to say whatever you want to, what do you want to say to your dad? Um, dad, first of all, uh, I want to tell you that, um, that I love you deeply and uh and truly uh and i so appreciate in ways more ways than you could imagine the consistency and and the value you put in us as children uh i thank you for uh for being faithful first of all and foremost to god and and being a a powerful intercessor on our part i know you've spent many, many mornings lifting us up in prayer that we didn't even know about until later. And I want to thank you for the investment you made in all of our lives. I thank you that you instilled in me by the, by the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, what it means to be a dad and the value that is so important that we put on others, our own children, our wife, by elevating her to the, what God has intended, and then to others. And uh, I want to tell you that uh, because of, of uh, the way that, that you lived your life, my life is better. And I want to tell you thank you, and I love you more than you'll ever know. Chris, your kids have <clears throat> sent you a little gift, and I think there may even be a surprise there for you. Oh, really? Nathan's going to show you that. Hey, Dad, I just want to thank you just for being a father, a friend, and a mentor uh, in my life, in Jordan and Karina's life, and honestly, in so many others' uh, lives. You, you took it upon yourself to be a father to the fatherless, especially to the orphans um, in Ukraine, and um, you've just showed our entire family what it is to be, have a servant's heart but a father's heart, and I want to thank you so much for that. And I can't wait to be able to express that to my kids, to Pax and Paisley, and um, and also to other kids all around the world. So thank you so much for that. 
One thing I love about my dad, but it also drives me insane, <laughs> is how long he takes doing certain things, especially when we're with the family. But over the years, I've realized the reason he takes so long doing things is because he wants to enjoy every single moment. And that's one thing he's taught me is, it doesn't matter what you're doing, especially when you're with friends and family, enjoy it, soak it in, take it in, and love every minute that you have with your people. Go. See, hey Papa, it's me and Pain. Thank you for playing baseball with me. I love you. Can you say hi? Yeah, that's Hugh. That's right. Say hi, Hugh. Say hi to Papa. Hi. That's Hugh, my small little guy, and he's probably going to talk throughout this whole thing. But I am uh, Jordan. Yeah. So I'm uh, Chris's second son, middle child between Nathan and Karina. Um, and I'm here today to talk about Dad. So, first thing I have to say is my favorite thing about Chris. So, Dad, my favorite thing about you, uh, it's no surprise to anybody who knows you, is your gentleness and your kindness. Um, you would uh, you would give the shirt off your back to anybody that's in need. And uh, I sure know that I don't think anybody wants you to do that because I know how poorly you tan so <laughs> let's just keep that thing on but i know in theory you would do that to, for anybody um you are uh so gentle and kind to everyone you know that's including friends and family in gadsden that's including our friends and loved ones in ukraine and um it's certainly one of my favorite things about you although there are many gems that make up Christopher Carl May, but Dad, I love that you are a gentle and kind man. Love you. So the thing that I love the most about you is how loving and caring you are to those around you and how you will do anything to help. My favorite story about you is you and your friends eating in El Tapatio for like a month and then getting some type of award and discount. I think that's hilarious, but so awesome. And then I want to thank you for always encouraging me and our family to be our best, to do our best, and for teaching me how to love others. I appreciate you and I love you so much. Hello from Ukraine. Oh my goodness. Well, I don't know how we can say something in very short time uh, because my English can take only one hour for speech. <laughs> but I will try because not only me must stay here, but also thousand kids who wants to say a thank you so much, Chris. And we wanna, uh, we really appreciate uh, for all of you for all of what you're doing for us, for all of your big heart for us. And from the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you so much. And we love you. And thank you for uh, for one day you asked me, uh, can I become your spiritual father? And as you know, I don't have in my vocabulary, I don't have um, word father. 
So mm. I accepted. I was confused, but I accepted. <laughs> and I'm so thankful because you changed my life. Um, after God, you changed my life because you became my father. And I am so appreciated, so thankful. I pray for you. And let's pray together for Ukraine because I really want to see you again here. We love you. Glory to Ukraine. And let's stop war together. Hmm. Wow. Wow. I think I'm speechless now. <laughs> I, uh, the, something that I was watching my sons, um, and I wrote this down, I didn't say it, but there's not much better in life than seeing your investment in your kids translate into them raising their kids. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, I mean, I, I, I just, I just am speechless you yeah. know, when I have that opportunity to see that and to, and to hear that. And the last person that spoke was Alona Kovalenko, which there's, there are a number of Ukrainian, now they're adults that are my spiritual kids. And she, she is one that was fatherless. She didn't have a father. She mm. has a mother, but not a father. And early on, it's probably been 10, 12 years ago, God asked me to ask her if I could be her spiritual father, mm. which there isn't a father. It's, it's Papa in, in yeah. Ukrainian. But, um, uh, and since then, she has blossomed and, and um, has evolved into this incredible, powerful woman of God that mm. has made an incredible difference. And wow. so all that to say, the investment in, in your kids is worth it. That's right. So, thank I, you so much, Scott. I think you've inspired somebody. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. I don't you. have anything else to say. That concludes this episode of That's My Dad, where we're inspiring fathers to become great dads, and we're seeking to break generational cycles of fatherlessness. See you next week.